In the fall of 1887, a 24-year-old woman named Ms. H was admitted to the infirmary for nervous disease, with recurrent and sudden attacks of swelling in her hands, knees, buttocks, face, and lips, along with associated abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. On some occasions, the swelling became so severe that she required her rings to be filed off. Dr. Burr, her admitting physician, in collaboration with Dr. William Osler, later uncovered an unusual family history spanning five generations of similar recurrent unexplained swelling, with two cases potentially leading to death from sudden airway swelling. Dr. Osler ultimately named this condition hereditary angioneurotic edema. It was not until 75 years later, in 1963, that Donaldson and Evans discovered the critical role of C1 inhibitor in the pathophysiology of this disease. They also played a pivotal role in changing the disease name to what we know now as hereditary angioedema. Today, our patient has hereditary angioedema, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, Isn't Life Swell? An Approach to Hereditary Angioedema. Time for our minute physiology. Angioedema is defined as self-limited, non-pitting swelling of subcutaneous and or submucosal tissues, which results from extravasation of fluid into interstitial tissues. Broadly, angioedema can be caused by histaminergic-mediated causes or bradykinin-mediated causes. Histaminergic-mediated angioedema occurs due to mast cell or basophil activation, leading to histamine release, which then leads to increased vascular permeability and subsequent leakage of plasma into tissue. Histamine-mediated angioedema has a variety of causes, including allergic reactions, pseudoallergic reactions like opiate-mediated mast cell degranulation, and idiopathic causes. Histaminergic angioedema can be associated with other signs of histamine release, including pruritus, urticaria, bronchospasm, and hypotension. Bradykinin-mediated angioedema occurs due to increased levels of bradykinin, a pro-inflammatory peptide released from mast cells and basophils, which promotes increased vascular dilation and permeability, leading to leakage of plasma into tissue. Because bradykinin-mediated angioedema does not involve the histamine pathway, a key differentiator of it from histamine-mediated angioedema is that it does not respond to epinephrine, antihistamines, or corticosteroids. Bradykinin-mediated causes of angioedema can broadly be divided into acquired angioedema and hereditary angioedema. Acquired angioedema occurs due to an acquired deficiency in C1 inhibitor, a plasma protease inhibitor which regulates pro-inflammatory pathways involved in bradykinin production. C1 inhibitor deficiency can occur due to consumption of or an acquired autoantibody to C1 inhibitor. This commonly occurs due to underlying lymphoproliferative or autoimmune disease. ACE inhibitor-induced angioedema is another form of acquired angioedema and occurs as angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibition, leads to decreased catabolism of bradykinin and subsequent bradykinin accumulation. Type 1 and 2 hereditary angioedema are autosomal dominant disorders resulting from an inherited deficiency or dysfunction of C1 inhibitor, which, as we recall, is involved in regulating bradykinin production. Type 1 hereditary angioedema is characterized by low C1 inhibitor level and function and is the most common type of hereditary angioedema, accounting for approximately 85% of cases. Type 2 hereditary angioedema is characterized by normal C1 inhibitor level but low function and accounts for approximately 15% of cases of hereditary angioedema. 
Type 3 hereditary angioedema, also known as hereditary angioedema with normal C1 inhibitor, is a rare form of hereditary angioedema that is distinguished from type 1 and 2 by the presence of normal complement studies. While inheritance and an underlying genetic cause is not always known for patients with type 3 hereditary angioedema, some patients have been found to have specific mutations in coagulation and fibrinolytic pathways, which interface with the bradykinin pathway. Type 3 hereditary angioedema is very rare and was estimated in one German study to occur in 1 in 100,000 German patients. True prevalence, however, is not known. Now that we've talked about the pathophysiology, let's talk about the approach to a patient with angioedema. Angioedema can occur in any location on the body, including the airway and the abdominal wall. Therefore, patients can present with a variety of symptoms, including dyspnea, severe abdominal pain, swelling on the face, oropharynx, extremities, and genitals, and in severe cases, evidence of hypovolemic shock due to fluid shifts. While histaminergic and bradykinin-mediated angioedema can present with overlapping clinical presentations, there are often key features that can hint at one or the other. Features that hint towards histamine-mediated angioedema include concurrent urticaria, flushing and or pruritus, quick time of peak, usually within minutes to hours, triggers including NSAIDs, insect stings, food, exercise, pressure, vibrations, scratching, and improvement with antihistamines, epinephrine, and or steroids. Features that hint towards bradykinin-mediated angioedema include a family history suggestive of bradykinin-mediated angioedema, lack of urticaria, flushing and pruritus, slower time to peak in resolution, usually within days, Triggers including ACE inhibitors, estrogen-containing medications, trauma, dental work, surgery, and lack of improvement with antihistamines, epinephrine, and steroids. These clues can help to guide your history, physical exam, and investigations. As with all patient encounters, your first step will be to ensure clinical stability. The airway is an especially important feature to assess in patients presenting with angioedema. But of course, you should also assess their other ABCs, their GCS, and ensure that they are in an appropriately monitored setting. Once your patient is stable, you can move forward with your assessment. Your history should be focused on differentiating between histamine-mediated and bradykinin-mediated angioedema based on the clues we discussed. Determine the onset, pattern, and timing of angioedema, including time to peak and resolution. Remember that bradykinin-mediated angioedema tends to start and resolve more quickly than histamine-mediated angioedema. Inquire about activities and exposures within 24 hours of onset of angioedema, including medications, foods, insect stings, dental work, surgery, trauma, exercise, pressure, scratching, vibration. Ask about associated symptoms, including urticaria, pruritus, flushing, dysphagia, dyspnea, syncope, or presyncope, bony pains, joint pains, and B symptoms like fevers, weight loss, malaise, and night sweats. Do a good medication review with a focus on NSAIDs, aspirin, and estrogen-containing medications like oral contraceptives. Family history is also critical. Ensure that in addition to asking about family members with confirmed angioedema and those with recurrent unexplained swelling, that you also ask about those with recurrent unexplained abdominal pain, as that can be a sign of intestinal angioedema. The success of previous therapies should also be assessed. Make sure that you specifically ask about response to antihistamines, steroids, and epinephrine. On physical exam, assess for location and symmetry of swelling. Determine whether swelling is pitting and whether it is gravity-dependent. Angioedema is a non-pitting swelling and tends to occur in areas that are not gravity-dependent. Assess for concurrent urticaria and flushing. 
Ensure that you examine the oropharynx and assess for signs of edema in the oropharynx. On respiratory exam, assess for signs of airway involvement such as strider. Examine the abdomen for tenderness and signs of distension. The genitalia should also be examined if they are involved. Alright, so you've determined that your patient may have bradykinin-mediated angioedema, and most likely hereditary angioedema based on your history. We are now going to focus on investigations and management specific to hereditary angioedema. Ideally, these investigations should be done when your patient is not on specific treatment for angioedema due to interference of treatment with some of the lab results. In addition to routine investigations like CBC, differential, electrolytes, creatinine, and liver enzymes, you should order complement studies including C4, C1Q, C1INH antigen, and C1INH function. Patients with type 1 hereditary angioedema will have decreased C4, C1INH antigen, and C1INH function. Patients with type 2 hereditary angioedema will have decreased C4 and C1INH function, but normal or even increased C1INH antigen. Patients with type 3 hereditary angioedema, also known as hereditary angioedema with normal C1 inhibitor, often will have normal C4, C1Q, C1INH antigen, and C1INH function. Once your preliminary blood work has been done and is suggestive of hereditary angioedema, you should refer the patient to a clinical immunologist and allergist with expertise in hereditary angioedema and should also consider referring your patient for genetic testing. Family members should be alerted about testing as well, as the first presentation of angioedema can be life-threatening. Now let's talk about treatment. The management of hereditary angioedema is divided into avoidance of triggers, treatment of attacks, short-term prophylaxis, and long-term prophylaxis. Known triggers of angioedema attacks include trauma, surgery, dental procedures, stress and anxiety, estrogen-containing medications, and infections. Patients should be counseled to avoid triggers when possible. Timely treatment of attacks of angioedema is critical for reducing morbidity and mortality, and treatment has been shown to reduce both the duration and severity of attacks. Treatment options for attacks of angioedema in those with type 1 and type 2 include C1 esterase inhibitor replacement, B2 receptor antagonists like icatabant, calocrine inhibitors like icalantide, and if the above options are not available, frozen plasma, as it contains endogenous C1 esterase inhibitor. Treatment options for those with attacks of type 3 hereditary angioedema include C1 esterase inhibitor replacement and icatabant. Short-term prophylaxis should be considered prior to known patient-specific triggers and for high-risk times like medical, surgical, or dental procedures. Pre-procedural short-term prophylaxis typically involves use of C1 inhibitor replacement within one hour prior to a planned procedure. It is also critical for patients to have access to therapy for acute attacks both during and after high-risk times, regardless of whether short-term prophylaxis is used. Long-term prophylaxis to reduce the number and severity of angioedema attacks can be considered in some patients with type 1 and type 2 hereditary angioedema and involves consideration of severity of previous attacks, access to and ability to administer treatment for attacks, and impact on quality of life. 
First-line options for long-term prophylaxis include C1-esterase inhibitor replacement and lenadelumab, a monoclonal antibody against calocrine. Attenuated androgens, like danazole, can also be considered, but patients should be monitored for side effects like virilization and dyslipidemia. Antifibrinolytics, like tranexamic acid, can also be considered and are the preferred agent over danazole in pregnant women, children, and those who cannot tolerate attenuated androgens. Both attenuated androgens and antifibrinolytics should not be used as first-line therapy. For further details on dosing and availability of therapies for hereditary angioedema, refer to the International-Canadian Hereditary Angioedema Guideline, updated in 2020, by Dr. Stephen Béchelet-Leal. Time for our Medicine Minute. A recent case series of 13 patients with HAE and COVID-19 published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice found that surprisingly, despite having a complement disorder, these patients did not have more severe COVID-19 disease. In fact, only one out of the 13 patients studied required hospitalization for moderate disease. While this is an unexpected finding given that the complement system has been implicated in COVID-19 pathogenesis, this case series was also limited by the fact that its patients were generally young women with a median age of 36 years old. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Isn't Life Swell? An Approach to Hereditary Angioedema. This episode was written by Maggie Jang, Internal Medicine Resident, and reviewed by Dr. Stephen Beschel, Clinical Immunology and Allergy, and Dr. Laurel Walker, General Internal Medicine. The Internet Work Series was created by Alison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karyanopoulos. Music production by Lachmi Sandoval. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karyanopoulos. As always, don't forget to check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.